Good morning to you. You have a Bible? Find one in the pew there in front of you if you don't have one. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would please, page 1158 in the Pew Bible. It's kind of a weird name, isn't it? Pew Bible. I'm glad you're here today. Thank you for joining us together. Um, I wanted to uh, draw your attention also in the inside of your bulletin. Next Sunday, there's going to be one of these equipped classes, just one session. Gene Christian is going to be here again. Uh, This is a guy that many of you know and many of you have met with. Uh, Our elders uh, asked him to come and help us to help people in the whole estate planning thing about wills. And if you're one of those people, oh, gee, I haven't done that, this would be really good for you. Um, He's not selling anything, not making any money from this. It's just a a ministry of the church. So I want to invite you to look at that, if you would, two services next Sunday. He'll be here. He's he's just a great guy, and it will be really helpful for you if you have never done this. How many of you have met with Gene? Have you done that? Yeah? Okay, good. So... And I ask somebody to raise their hand, they'll, they'll fill you in on him. Um, I want to ask you if you would, if you'd stand together with me and let's read together our text this morning. This is the word of our God. His very thoughts written down for us and for us to be the kind of people he wants us to be. Ephesians chapter 4, our text this morning begins with verse 7. Paul writes, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, will you help us now? I know my need for you at this moment, in these minutes, and I know that we need you to speak to us in a way that we can understand. Father, I pray that you'd bring us before you and that we would submit to you and to your word and we ask you to speak to us and encourage us and direct us and help us to be pleasing to you. Let this message be a message that builds up this body for the glory of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Did you ever have your daddy look at you and say, Grow up. Or the one my dad used to say all the time, would you please act your age? Or don't be such a baby. And there were others, of course, too. Now, that's what you say to someone when you think that they're not living up to their age and their maturity. You don't don't ask a four-year-old, act like you're 20. 
Uh, but many times we who are 20 act like we're four, or sometimes we who are 60 act like we're four. And we need a word every now and then, grow up, grow up. And of course, that's the emphasis of these chapters in Ephesians. Matt talked to you last week about how right at this place where he talked from last week, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, uh, Paul takes a turn, if you will. Of course, Paul didn't write in chapters and verses. He just wrote a letter. But we've divided up into chapters and verses so we can find stuff. And and when you look at it, look at Ephesians, you realize that this was this is well divided. It, and, and Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul turns, if you will, it's like a hinge from which Paul, in the first three chapters, he talks about God and his great riches, the stuff that he has given to us in Christ, that he has lavished his grace on us and that he chose us before he created the world and that he, he's called us and redeemed us and forgiven us and, and brought us into his body and made us one in Christ and so that we recognize now that a definition of a Christian is someone who is in Christ and Christ is in them, not just someone who goes to church, but someone who is actually in Christ and someone who Christ is lives in them. You believe this? So this is what Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 talks about, these great riches that God has given to us. And Paul talks about these and expounds upon them, and it's pretty heavy stuff. It's pretty amazing language and such incredible blessings. And then in chapters 4, 5, and 6, now he says, okay, since God has done this for you, so live like it. So therefore, you have an obligation. We have an obligation. If God has done this for us, if someone gives you great grace, it doesn't leave you with no obligation, does it? At the very least, you ought to say, thank you. But if God gives us great grace, he actually gives us grace in order to equip us to become and to do something. And so what we're going to discover now from these weeks on as we keep studying Ephesians is that in chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul is going to say, okay, now let's talk about this. Let's talk about family. Let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about husbands. Let's talk about the church. Let's talk about how, how you are serving. Let's talk about applying now the great gifts that God has given to you. So now, in the way in which he termed it, if you have your Bibles open, look back at chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You received a calling, so live like it. Live out the calling you have received. You've been called, and this is you've been called to a calling, to be something. To be what God calls you to be. And so now we must actually live it out. Now, one of the things that, that Matt and I have discovered is, is that we're moving pretty fast through Ephesians. Um, I looked at my old sermon notes when I taught through Ephesians many years ago, and I actually did four sermons on the verses we're going to look at this morning. Uh, so I thought, oh, I'm in trouble. Um, because this teacher thing in me comes out, and it's hard for me not to talk about stuff. So, But I'm going to try. One of the things that we could do here is, in these verses is we could talk, we could focus on different things. We could, we could focus on the whole thing about spiritual gifts because that's in here. We could talk about the whole debate that theologians have about whether or not Jesus descended into Hades. You ever heard that? That when he died, did he, in fact, some of the old statements of faith say that. Some of her songs even talk about it. We could focus on, I, I did one message on what are apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, and we could certainly do that, all that stuff that pastors love to talk about. But there is a thrust of this passage, and it's found in verse 12. And I think everything that Paul talks about in those areas leads up to what he's saying in verse 12, and everything he talks about after that is how it is we do this, and what does it look like. And the phrase is this phrase, and if you underline in your Bible... Uh, I want to recommend you underline this phrase, so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
so that the body of Christ may be built up. I want to try to anchor that in your brain this morning, so that the body of Christ may be built up. I don't know about you, but I never remember anything I don't repeat. So would you repeat with me the words, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Again, so that the body of Christ may be built up. One more time. So that the body of Christ may be built up. You get stronger every time you do this. So what's the body the body of Christ? That would be us. This is the local manifestation of the body of Christ. There's a lot of them around, and the whole church universal, if you will, is the body of Christ. But we are the body of Christ. So this is about us. So we'll focus most of our time here. I'm just only going to be able to touch on the other areas. And so if you have really deep questions and serious, you know, complex issues that you'd like to talk about about some of the other areas, talk to Matt. Okay, let's get right right to it. Then verse 7. You see then what Paul writes in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Go on to the next slide if you would. To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it or gave it. To each one of us. Who's the each one of us? Who do you think? One more time. That would be us. Who? All of us? Everyone. Hmm. Remember that. But to each one of us, grace has been given. Grace is this unmerited favor, this flow of the goodness of God that, that he just gives good gifts because God is love and he's good. And so he's full of grace and he gives us grace. And now Paul is saying Christ apportioned grace, if you will. And the word grace is, is the root out of which we get the word spiritual and spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. So this really is a reference to particularly spiritual gifts, gifts of grace, charis in the Greek, which is the, which is the core of charismatic and uh, charisma and those things that are talking about gifts. I do want to point out to you, though, that when he talks about grace here, he's not talking about saving grace here. He talked about saving grace in Ephesians chapter 2. Remember Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10? It is by Grace, you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Good. So we learned there that that, that's saving grace, that God saves people by his grace. It's a gift of God. You believe that? So what did you do to get saved? Well, you believed, right? You received. So, But you received a gift, right? It is by the grace of God. So that's saving grace. But here, now Paul has turned the corner. Now he's starting to talk about grace in order to help us to live, to live out the grace that he's given to us, to save us. And some people call this serving grace. That God not only gives us grace to be saved, but he also, once saved, he gives us grace to serve him. Do you believe that? That, he actually, that the grace continues? What if it stopped way back there, right? He'd just say, now serve me, and we'd be going, ah, right? So he gives us grace also to serve him. It's called serving grace. To each one of us, grace has been given. All of us. Every one of us. So Christ then has called people to himself. We are called to be his people, and he has given us a new life. In Ephesians 1, verse 7 and 8, says that he lavished his grace upon us. He lavished the riches of his grace. God is a great God of giving grace. So church then is a community of graced people. Church is a 
is a community of people who have received the grace of God. Do you believe that? It's not people who just walk into a building or sign a membership form. This is a group of people who have been given gifts by God, who have been graced, who have been received the very grace of God. If you want to study spiritual gifts more, we'll just touch on it this morning. Uh, I want I encourage you to look up Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and you can study uh, more about spiritual gifts. There's at least 20 what we would call spiritual gifts listed in those passages. And many people believe, and I do too, that there are many more that, that God gives gifts as he determines the church needs the gifts. And so he gives them as he wills. And that's, again, what this text says. Let's go on. Verse 8, 9, and 10. I put in your notes, Christ the King descended and ascended. He descended and he ascended. Now, what Paul does here is he reaches back into Psalm 68. And he pulls this out as an illustration. If you read Psalm 68, it's, a, it's an incredible psalm. It's a picture, if you, will, if you will, of the king residing in Mount Zion, the holy mountain, and there being a great tragedy in the, in the land. And the, and the psalm begins, let God arise. And the picture is God rising up from his throne, descending down the mountain to go into battle to defeat the, the enemy and then to take captives and to then ascend back to the mountain and to receive gifts and to give gifts. Are you, you understand this? This is an old, I mean, this is a pattern of what the kings did in those days. And it's a picture of God descending his holy mountain and winning the victory and then going back to the mountain and then giving gifts to people. The key of the, this, these verses, and again, if you underline your Bible, just to help you remember, is the phrase, and gave gifts to men. Paul is using this as an illustration to, if you will, support what he's saying is that now in the New Testament, Christ is the king and he has descended, right? The incarnation, he was in glory, he became man, he descended to the earth, he fought the battle, he won the victory, he died, he rose again, and then he ascended back to heaven. And when he did that, he gave gifts to the church. Are you tracking with this? So that's where we get this whole thing of spiritual gifts, because Christ, ascended now to his throne, gives gifts to people. And that's what, what Paul is talking about. Now, the, the part that trips people up right here is in verse 9, is the phrase, the lower earthly regions. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And people go, what? And, and one of our problems is, is dating way back to early church tradition was is that people thought this verse and then 1 Peter 3, 9, if you want to look at that one up, is also a little confusing. They, they said that that taught that when Jesus was crucified and died, that when he was dead, he descended into Hades to overcome evil forces and to lead, captive, lead captives out. Okay. Um, I just want to say to you, couple things. One is, I join what I think are most Bible scholars say this verse does not teach that. And 1 Peter 3, 9 also I don't think teaches that. On the other hand, I'm not going to tell you what Jesus did or didn't do when he was in the tomb because I don't know. Some of you may know, I, I don't personally know. And I don't want to tell you that he didn't do that or he couldn't do that. I just don't believe that the Bible teaches that he did that. Is that okay? 
So that's probably enough then. The point that Paul is making here, he doesn't really want us to get off on the whole thing about what happened to Jesus when he died and was in the tomb. What he wants us to focus on is that the king, Jesus, gives gifts to men. And when he means men, he means, means mankind. Okay? All right, so let's go on then. So then, we see in the very next verse, verse 11, Paul begins to talk about these gifts. And so I put in your notes, Christ has given gifted leaders to the church. And he particularly names some of them. He says, it was he, that is Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. Okay, just to touch on these. Apostle. Apostle is literally one cent. The first apostles were the ones who were called to Christ, to come close to Christ, to be with Christ, and given authority by Christ. They were the ones who witnessed the resurrection. Paul was brought into that group when Christ appeared to him, and he is the apostle to the Gentiles. The word apostle literally means one sent. It's the idea, simply, that Jesus called people to himself to be with them, and then he sent them out as his apostles. And so there is that, that select group, of which apparently there will never ever be anybody like that group again, with that kind of authority and that kind of ability to write inspired scripture, but then there are other people in the New Testament that are also called apostles, several names like that, because they too were sent out by the church or by those in authority. And then there's a, another group of people, even living today, that we would say, I would say, have apostolic gifts. That is, they, they want to be sent out. You know anybody like that? That they just have this, I, mean, I have some good friends, Carolyn and I have some good friends, and his name is Phil and Tony Spry, and we've known them for years, and we served in the church in California with them. And, and these people, you know, they brought him on, we brought him onto their staff and he did evangelism and everything because he was an evangelist too, but he just couldn't stay put, right? He just had to go somewhere and start a church. And so he went and started a church, waited, got about two or three years, you know, and the church got established. And then guess what? He's looking where, you know, and then he went over there and he started. So in the years since that's happened, I think they've started six or seven different churches. They've been there like two or three years and then they move on because he's got this apostolic motivation to Go to go and do it. And so there are people like that have that kind of giftedness today. And then there are prophets, Paul said, prophets. Prophet is literally someone who speaks for God, God's mouthpiece, if you would. In the Old Testament, so many times the prophets began with the words, thus says the Lord. And then they'd speak whatever it is that God told them to speak. And a lot of times they got killed for it. Um, so you, you had to be careful about being a prophet in those days. Uh, in the New Testament, there are also prophets. These are people... Think about the church now, when it's just being formed, and they don't have the New Testament written. They have the Old Testament scripture, but the New Testament is moving against the whole wave of culture and society, and, and people are becoming followers of Jesus Christ, and this is a radical new kind of life, and there are all kinds of questions and issues and, 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 and opposition, and, and God sends prophets into the church that would, on a regular basis, speak the words that God wanted to speak to the church. And so these people would just speak a word of prophecy. Now, some of you have been around for a little while, and you know that the church just loves to divide up over this stuff. In fact, I went through a period of time, and many of you have too, in the, in the church in America particularly, where we just divided up over whether or not there's really apostles and prophets today, and whether or not they do this stuff, and how, what's their role and responsibility. And I remember uh, when I was in college, uh, we were... We were studying 1 Corinthians, and we were going through 1 Corinthians, and we were, then we got into this whole debate, the whole, quote, charismatic movement, and we were conservative evangelicals and didn't know what to think about some of this stuff. 
And so people would ask the professor all kinds of questions. And he would ask about the spiritual gifts and about prophets and all that. And you know what? He'd say, he'd say this every time. He'd say, would you please go home and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And if you have questions about this, come back and talk to me then. Well, I went home and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And it answers about 95% of your questions. So if you have questions about this, go home and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And if you still have questions, come and ask Matt. Now, now my point here is that, personally, I believe there are still prophets. There are people who still speak for God. But we have to be careful about this. In fact, the Bible warns us about this. Check these things out. Test the spirits and make sure that we're talking biblically. And, and by the way, if you're interested in this, you can study 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul gives guidelines for the gift of prophecy in the church, how it is to be exercised and not exercised. You okay with this? Okay, let's move on then. Then the next one is evangelist. You know what an evangelist is? Someone who loves to tell people about Jesus. Someone who is motivated. Many times they're motivated apostolically to go and preach the gospel. And sometimes they're just right. They stay right at home and they just tell people about Jesus Christ. And they love to be in the church. I think John Hamilton has the gift of evangelism. He seems to lead more people to Jesus than I do for sure. And well, most people do. Um, and, of course, Luis Palau and Andrew have the gift of evangelism, and they're traveling all over the world. This, I mean, God gives evangelists to the church. You can imagine why in the early church needed the gift of evangelism, because they were trying to win the whole world to Jesus Christ. And we still need this gift of evangelism. Acts 21.8, Philip the evangelist. Interesting that in 2 Timothy 4.5, Paul told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. Even though apparently he wasn't gifted as an evangelist, Paul told him to do the work of the evangelist. Then we come to pastors and teachers, and I particularly like this one. Um, because I think that's how God has wired me. And some people th see this as two different gifts. I think it's one, pastor-teacher. The word pastor means shepherd, somebody who is a shepherd of the flock. And, and usually the pastor and teacher is... The idea of someone who shepherds the, the flock primarily through the gift of teaching. Not exclusively, but primarily through the gift of teaching. And, of course, the Church of Jesus Christ desperately needs this gift also to care for the people of God and help us to get firmly based on what is sound doctrine. And, and we, we need to know the Word of God and we need to help guide people. And that's what this is about. So much more could be said about that, but let's go on. Verse 12. Notice... His gifts are to equip God's people for service. That these gifts are given to prepare God's people for service. Some translations say equip. To prepare, to equip, to enable God's people. The word is holy ones or saints. And that includes who? All of us. Are you a saint? We've already dealt with this, right? So you'd say, yeah, right? I'm in Christ. I don't always act saintly, but I am a saint, a holy one. I'm called to be a saint, to be a holy one of God. So now Paul is saying these gifts are given to prepare God's people for work of service, works of service. Now, I step back for a moment. One of the realities of what the devil has done to the church in the last 2,000 years has been one of the most effective things, deceptions that he has perpetrated on the church is to divide the Church of Jesus Christ into what are called clergy and laity. This is something not rooted in the Word of God. 
something rooted in tradition and and also it's probably promoted in some ways by many clergy but it's also promoted by quote the lady where they like the idea of somebody else primarily responsible to do the ministry and I don't have to the whole concept that there are just some people in the body of Christ who are who are quote ministers or pastors and nobody else has to do that except them is a is a deception and it's led to this whole whole idea that going to church is going and, and observing other people do ministry. And that my role is not to do ministry. My role is simply to support and applaud the people who are doing the ministry, you know, and give to them. But it's just reverse. It's just backwards to what Paul is actually saying. Paul is saying God gives gifted men and women to the church to equip the whole rest of the church to do the ministry. Are you tracking with what I'm saying to you? This is a crucial biblical doctrine. This is about, you know, this is about the whole priesthood of believers. This is about all of us are called, all of, we could do this thing in the bulletin, you know, in the back of the bulletin where we got, you know, pastors and elders and then we could put ministers, all of us. Because that's, we, that's what we are, every single one of us. And that God has called us to be that and to do that. And that the point of these verses is, is that the entire church is responsible for the work of ministry. And that every believer is to be equipped to do ministry. And that no one who is in Christ and no one who is part of the body of Christ is, is in a place of saying, I don't do ministry, I don't do service, I watch other people do it. I mean, if you came in here and you, you come in here and you sit down and you watch somebody else worship... You didn't worship. You just watched somebody worship. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? So what happens to what's happened to us is we've turned into a nation of observers, consumers, if you will. And we've got a whole bunch of churches trying to figure out how to meet all the needs of all the people when the point of the whole thing about pastors and elders is to equip the people to do the work of ministry. And that's where the strength of the church lies. And to the degree that we are able to actually accomplish that, then the church becomes mature. We grow up. I think I put in your notes, God's purpose to build up the body of Christ. That the body of Christ may be built up. That the body of Christ may be built up. Say it again with me. That the body of Christ may be built up. This is the purpose of God. This is what glorifies God. This is what elevates Christ in our mind. This is what glory, this is what brings glory, where there can be glory in the church. Is if the body of Christ is built up. This is why God gives gifted leaders. That's why gifted leaders' primary purpose is not to do the ministry themselves. It is to enable God's people. The problem is, is that we, quote, pastor types, tend to do it ourselves. Because sometimes we just like that. Or it's, easy, it's frankly easier to do ministry than it is, I've found it, than to equip somebody else to do ministry. Have you discovered this? I mean, and that is to, we say, I say that to my shame. And I'm so glad that we're getting some of this. Now let me share with you what I think are five crucial parts of building up the body of Christ. And this, I think, is the core of what Paul is trying to get at. And we could talk about this just in terms of theory. That this is a great theory. It's great for pastors to talk about this interesting stuff for staff meetings at the church office. But, uh, you know, who cares? And if we do that, oh, we'll lose. Instead, what, what we ought to do is that we go along, look at these five. We ought to do a little self-analysis. 
about us. We ought to look at ourselves. And I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you five times, how are we doing? How are we doing? And I hope you'll have an opinion. And I hope you'll see some of the need here. So let's look at them. The first one is what could be called unity in the faith. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity in the faith. But aren't we already one? Are we? Are we if we're all in Christ, are we already one? We're already uni- united then. So what is Paul... I, think, I don't think Paul is saying you need to create unity... What he, I think what he's saying here is you are one. What you need to do is protect the unity of the saints. You need to preserve it because it's getting attacked all the time. We fail to live in unity, but we are one. So look around at your, you know, look around at the church in America. Are we united or divided? What do you think? So divided. Do you think? You think God is blessed by that? You know, now the truth is, of course, there is diversity. We're different. We even have different doctrinal views about different things. We do in this building right now, in this room. If we did a little study, we would discover that we really disagree or, or that we don't agree particularly or see everything the same. So can there be diversity and unity at the same time? So it isn't about about believing everything the same or wanting to do it or even going to the same church. It's It's deeper than that, isn't it? It's something about attitude. It's something about it's something about love. It's something about being unwilling to separate from someone else because they do it differently than I do. This music is like... Right? So let's divide up over that. Or the way in which we do communion. Or the way in which we interpret this verse or that verse. Or the way in which we do church. Or whether we call these people this or we call people that. Or different roles for these kind. I mean, there's a thousand things we can divide up over, aren't there? So what do we do? Then we struggle to keep the unity that God has given to us. Recognizing that we are not the same. And that we are different. We have an immense diversity. And that's exactly what God apparently wants. But he also wants us to... Love each other and to know that we are one. If you find someone else who loves Jesus and who acknowledges him as Savior and Lord, you are one with him. And you know that, don't you? It doesn't mean you have to agree on everything. It means that you agree on him. Oh, so much more to be said about that, but let's go on. Well, how are we doing on that one? Right here at Cedar Mill Bible Church. Is there unity in the faith here? Let's go on. Second one. <laughs> growing more like Christ. Growing more like Christ. Of course. And it, unit, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. Under the word knowledge, this is not about head knowledge. This is not about more notebooks or note sheets. This is about experiential knowledge, what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about knowing more stuff. We're really good at knowing stuff. I'm good at knowing stuff. But living is another matter. So we're talking about maturity here and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. We grow up in Jesus, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, which lifts this thing so high to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. You know anybody who can talk and doesn't walk? I mean, we're good at that. 
Sometimes we can just talk, and, and, and we come across as so incredibly mature, and then we are nasty. Could it be? We're so immature. It's just amazing. And our behavior, our attitudes, and so head knowledge is not what Paul's talking about. And when he says in the knowledge of the Son of God, he's talking about experientially walking with Jesus and being like Jesus. How do you, how do you evaluate somebody who is mature? In Christ, Do you evaluate it by how well they can say stuff or know stuff or how articulate they are in prayer or how much Bible study or books they've read or their education they have? It's none of those. Hopefully those things contribute, right, or our results, but that's not what... What is maturity? Maturity is how much I live in similarity to Jesus. When you look at my life, not what I do here, I can appear pretty spiritual here. Talk to my wife. She has another perspective about my maturity in certain, certain areas. It's fascinating how you, when you live with someone. Yeah, well, we won't go there. So, but I remind you back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 1 John 2.6. I'm just giving you verses you may want to write down. 1 John 2.6. Whoever claims to live in him, in Christ, must live as Jesus did. Oh. Maturity is being like Christ. Growing more like Christ. How are we doing here? It's hard to evaluate for us as a group. So, how about you? Look, look back in your mind two years. Let's say two years. When you think about where you were two years ago, in your relationship with Christ, not in just your head knowledge, but in your maturity, in your relationship with Christ, have you seen growth in the last two years? Have you? There you go. That's the clue, isn't it? That. That's what we want. We want to be able to be growing more mature in Christ. So has he spoken to you and have you submitted? Not, not perfection, all right? Progress, right? Has it happened? That's a yes or no question, my friends. So for you? Oh, good self-evaluation here. Let's go on. Third thing. Standing firm against deception. Standing firm against deception. Interesting thing that Paul says in verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, underline that word, no longer infants, babies, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. It seems like Paul has a little bit of a negative view of humanity there. That our world is full of people who will deceive you and scheme and distract you if they can. You think? And so Paul says, so the point is, no longer be babies. Because you live in a world full of storms and full of difficulties and struggles and deceit and it's coming at you from all directions. And, and when you're in the midst of a storm and when there are people trying to deceive, you rescue the babies first. Because why? Because they're just blown away by it. And they just, poo, you know. You know any Christians who are like this? Who are just... Wow, well, they're over here, and then, you know, and six months later, they're way over here, and, you know, and then we're, to, oh, well, oh, well, we're way over there, and, you know, and, and sometimes we do this for causes, or sometimes something, even biblical, something is, and it can't even really be right on and true. It can, and so we get really excited about, you know. I can remember when the second coming was, we were all just like, 
the second coming is happening so fast, run up your credit cards because you won't have to repay it. <laughs> you laugh, but I heard that taught. And so people are so fascinated with the second coming. The whole thing about spiritual gifts, same kind of thing. You know, and we can do this, and, and I want to tell you, we, that's not maturity. Right? That's infancy. That's being blown around. And, and so many times it's, it's a deception that just moves you like two or three degrees off of Jesus. So you're so fascinated by something else. One of the great tests of maturity, one of the great tests of any kind of cause or any, anything having to do with what's important to us is where does it relate to Jesus as Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing in this? You see, this is one of the points of community groups. This is one of the points of being together because we need each other. Because every one of us tends toward imbalance. You know that, don't you? You spend a lot of time alone and you will get weird. <laughs> guaranteed. Absolutely, totally, 100% guaranteed. We need each other to bring balance. And so that's what we do. We love each other and we care for each other. When you hear somebody then who you think, man, they're getting off track here a little bit, then what do you do? You, you try to carefully and lovingly help them understand the truth. You talk about sound doctrine. You try to bring them back to the place of balance. And you, and you do that because you, don't want, you want them to grow up, right? And you want to do that too. And so that's one of the primary things that we do. So we want to reach the place in Second Peter chapter one, Paul, Peter actually talks about that you can reach a place of maturity where you, where you will not be deceived and you will not stumble anymore about these things. doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you just will not fall. Because, and that's maturity, my friends. Not perfection, but maturity. Fourth one, speaking truth in love. Speaking truth in, oh, Instead, speaking the truth in love, it's literally truthing in love. The word speaking doesn't appear. Truthing in love, it's, it's the reality that, that Paul is saying, look, there's the atmosphere of Christian maturity in the body of Christ is these two great realities. It is truth and it is love. Speaking the truth, we will in all things grow up, there it is again, into him who is the head, even Christ. Truth and love. One more time, we tend to be people of extremes. You know some people who are just really big on truth and light on love? They will hammer you with the truth. Then there's some people who are so loving they will never tell you the truth. And they think that's love. And it's not, is it? Is it? And many of you are parents and you are trying to walk this line with your kids, right? They were young and you were trying to figure out how much truth... I don't, give them, I don't dump the whole truckload of truth on them. It'll just bury them. And, and I try to do it in love because that, you know that that's the pathway to maturity. And both of these things are absolutely crucial. Truth and love. We must truthfully, lovingly help each other. We lovingly, gently, carefully speak truth. And we truthfully, biblically, clearly love people. The crucial atmosphere for maturity in the church of Jesus Christ is truth and love. How are we doing here? What do you think? Do you think this applies to 
family? Marriage. Truth in love? Kids. Community groups. Ministries. Isn't it everywhere? Everywhere where you want progress and maturity and growing up, truth and love. So what are, you can do a little self-analysis of yourself. You probably know right off the top of your head which of those two you are most strong in. And, and usually there's a corresponding little bit of weakness there. And so that what that does is that tells us, okay, I, I'm just so loving with people, but I'm probably never going to tell them about Jesus. That's not love. I'm never going to be corrective. I'm never, but I, I need, if I'm going to do, if God wants me to help correct or to, you know, I've got to do it in love, right? And then some of us, wow, we can hammer with the truth. And, and then we wonder why people don't respond to us. Because we've just hit them with our biggest Bible. And, okay, let's go on. Fifth thing, growth as each member does their part. Ooh. Ooh, each member, each member means each, could be every. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is an amazing verse. There's so much here, but the point that Paul seems to be making is is that all of us, every single one of us, needs to do their part in ministry. Now, the reality for the church in America is that most Christians say that that the whole Christianity thing is about going to a church, listening to some people lead in worship, and then listening to a preacher, and getting up and going home. But that's the church. That is so wrong and weak and a deception. The church is not about going and listening to a preacher. Someone said, uh, the reality is the body of Christ seems to have one big mouth and a whole bunch of little ears. <laughs> I guess that makes me the big mouth. But you're not the little ears, are you? You think that some of that's true in the church in America? So many people say that's what it's about. I have my own personal individual relationship with Christ, but church is about going and sitting and listening, observing. I hope they do a good job this Sunday. Hope I'm blessed. Hope it's worship music I like. Hope the teacher, preacher encourages me. Do you see how off this is? We've dropped right into the whole American consumer mentality and... And if you're thinking that's what this church is about, we want to change that. Now, most of you know this. I know you do. Paul expects people to grow up. I mean, he would just, he'd be freaked by this whole thing, clergy, laity, and people coming to church and observing and going home unchanged, that, that that's about what it's about, that that's the essence of the Christian life, is what church you go to and what truth you learned and what music you heard. For Paul, it was all about the head. It was all about glorifying the head. It was all about becoming like him. It was all about the whole body of Christ being built up so that we become increasingly what it is, the kind of people that God wants us to be so that we bring glory to him by the way in which we are joined together and we function in unity and the way in which we encourage each other and speak the truth in love and that we're growing mature and we're affecting the world. Don't you think? 
This is what he, I mean, he would just, he would say, that's why God gave gifted leaders to the church. To help every single one of us. If, if you ever begin to think that it's only about watching other people do their ministry, in fact, we've even said that. There are only some people who are, quote, ministers and pastors, and you have to have, like, somebody lay hands on you and ever become a minister. No. Now, I, I want to tell you, I, God does call people, quote, to full-time ministry, and, I mean, I mean, so there's that whole thing. But he wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about every single one of us. And the church of Jesus Christ, when every single one of us know that we have received the grace of God, not only to be saved, but also to do ministry, then the church becomes magnificent when everybody gets it. Don't you think? What would happen in the church in America if the whole congregation of everybody who sat in pews on Sunday morning stood up and said, we are pastors and ministers and we're going to affect this world? That the whole point of it all is to be equipped so that we become mature and we're going to leave these shepherds behind in some ways because we're going to be out there. And, oh, Now all this stuff could just be Bible study. You know, it can just be stuff that pastors talk about and yell about. But let me bring it home to you. Are you saved? Yes. Are you in Christ? Yes. You belong to him? Yes. Forgiven by the blood? Receive saving grace. Do you belong to him? Are you part of this body? Hmm. What are you doing about it? Now I know the answer. I, I know a lot of you. And I want to say to you that so many of you are giving so generously and sacrificially. You're working so hard. You're doing, some of you are doing too much in fact. So I want to say to you, oh, I know, I don't know everybody, of course, and many of you are doing many things I don't know anything about, and you're doing things outside of the body, the church family, and the ministries of the church, which is what we're supposed to do, obviously. But So I want to say, I bless you, and we praise God for you on a regular basis. We go, oh, God, thank you for the committed saints at Cedar Mill Bible Church who are doing the work of the ministry, who have been equipped and who are serving, and these people are going out, and, and we just, we thank God for you. And now let me ask you the other side. Do you have a place? Do you have a ministry? Are you contributing to the maturity of this body? You say, well, my ministry is somewhere else. Thank God for that. But I want to say to you, if you come here, and if you are blessed here, and if you worship here, and if you belong here, then shouldn't you be doing some area of ministry to build up this body? Don't you think? And can I tell you something that's sort of unrelated to that, but it's sort of related, and that is that on a pretty regular basis, we pastor types get together and we say, oh man, we wish we had, we need ten more people here. And man, and the problem is, is that we know that people who go to a larger church tend to watch what's going on, particularly at a platform or somewhere else, and they think they don't need me. So guess what? They're not doing anything. And we miss the whole thing of how God has called us. Did you see this important self-evaluation questions I put in your note sheet? Do I see how I am gifted by God? Am I growing in knowledge and maturity in following Christ? Do I speak the truth in love? And where do I serve in ministry to build up the body? If I ask you that last one, what would you say? And I want to say to you that if you don't have an answer to that, 
grow up. As lovingly as I can, I say to you, grow up. You say, I'm a new Christian. Grow up. We need people simply to stand at doors and greet people and love people. We need people to hold babies. We've we got so many needs. Now, some of you might say, well, you haven't told us. Well, I'm telling you now. Um, and some of you thought, well, everything's going so well here, they don't need me. That would be lie, a lie. And some of you might say, well, we don't know what to do. How do you, what do you want us to do? Let me tell you what to do. You get a bulletin this morning. On the back of it is those pastoral staff and elders. You know any of them? If you're saying, I would, I'd like to contribute, I'd like to serve somewhere, will you help me find it? Talk to one of us. If you're not sure who to talk to, talk to John Hamilton. <laughs> we all got together and conspired behind John's back and said, John would be the perfect person to coordinate everybody in the church. So, <laughs> no, actually, it's just, if you're new or if you just don't know for sure what to do, then John, I mean, John's so good at this, too. And he'd help you. Or any of us will help you. So there is no reason for you not to know. And John, you are willing to talk to people, aren't you? Raise your hand, brother. Praise God for John. He's not only an evangelist, he's an equipper of the saints. Has been for a long time. Okay, we ought to wrap up. We We need to take the Lord's Supper together. Grace. The grace of God given to you. Saving grace and serving grace. So what's this about? This thing we call communion. What is this about? Isn't this about grace too? Isn't it about the incredible work of grace that there is a Savior who loved you so much that he would come and give himself for you? And isn't it about the body too? Isn't it about us and and I think it's about closeness, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing thing is he said, come and eat this and drink this. Put it inside you. Consume it. To me, it's a picture of feeding on Jesus one more time and drinking the joy of Jesus. And it's about Jesus in me and me in Jesus. And, and he did all this. He did it so you could be so close to him. I mean, this whole thing of he's the head and we're the body and and in Christ, and eating and drinking. It's all about closeness. You might feel really distant today. You might, you might be thinking, I don't know if God even sees me or cares about me and what's going on in my life. I, I want to say to you, He loves you. And He wants you to know again how, how close you are, how much you are in His heart, and how He thinks about you, and how He wants you to be what you so desperately want to be, and how He wants us to be that together. So will you, will you do this? Will you think grace? When you get up out of your seats and you come forward, will you, will you think grace, his grace, his grace? And, and oh, by the way, will you not be really somber when you do it this morning? Reach out and put your hand on somebody's shoulder and smile at them. Or help, maybe, I don't know, love each other during this time. Because this is what it's about, isn't it? It is about... We're going to sing Jesus paid it all. It is about he paid it all. It's so sweet for us to worship him in this moment. It's also sweet for us to worship him in this moment. So the tables are open. Come. Come and take the bread and the cup. Come. Come.